It is fitting today on the first Sunday of 2016 that the lectionary takes us to the first chapter of John and this wonderful prologue. So take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. I encourage you to do so today, even though I know I'm going to give it on the, on the screen. I would like for you to have the word open for you to, to meditate on throughout the time of the sacrament itself. The prologue of John is perhaps the most beautiful of all the prose chapters. It takes us back to what happened at the very beginning and who Jesus Christ is and what it means for him to bring life and to bring light into this world and to bring it into your life as well. And so it's one of the the beautiful descriptions of beginnings. Genesis chapter 1, of course, in the beginning God created out of nothing is one of the beautiful descriptions of what is given to us that we could not know from this side of that event. It's only the one who was there who could tell us how it occurred. This week as I was studying and preparing for the study of these words, I came across a poster that you've probably seen. It goes around in in, uh, Facebook quite often. But every time I see it, I kind of cringe because it reduces the person to a caricature. The poster is this. Supposedly, there's this moment of creation that someone had a camera and took a picture of, and superimposed on that event is the word atheist. And under the picture, it says, in the beginning, there was nothing, and then it exploded. Now, that is an interesting statement of logical inconsistency. And we all see it immediately. But my experience with people who call themselves atheists is that they are anything but logically inconsistent. And so this is a put down or a caricature of what it is that they think. But it does raise an interesting question. What does a person who does not believe there was anything before there was something, how does that thoughtful person answer the question of what happened? at that moment? How did something come out of nothing? And what did occur? Well, here's a good example. It's written by Barry Hamp. He describes himself, I love this word, as a lifetime atheist from a Christian home. And I like that he uses the term lifetime atheist because at the end of his lifetime, he is going to find out if his belief is true or not. But in answer to this question, how do atheists explain the existence of matter and energy present during the Big Bang? He states, my position as an atheist is that we don't. That's just not our responsibility. But the people who care about such things are working on it. I'm reasonably confident that when the answer is found, It will be scientific and natural and not divine and supernatural. Now he goes on, if you want to look it up and read what he has to say. He makes some very interesting, he's a thoughtful person, interesting statements about it. But it's that answer that he gives in the short that I find fascinating. He admits that he doesn't know. That's good intellectual honesty. But then he says, people who care about such things are working on it. And I'm reasonably confident, interesting phrase, reasonably confident that when the answer is found, it will be scientific and natural, not divine and supernatural. 
Now, what is reasonably confident? Uh, as Christians, you immediately recognize that what Barry is describing is faith. He is reasonably confident that there is a way to describe the beginning without God. For us as Christians, we take that same kind of language, in fact, and we talk about reasonable confidence in this way. Beautiful book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the faith chapter. It begins with verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, assured confidence, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now I bring that up because in my discussions with people who call themselves a humanist or call themselves a materialist or call themselves an atheist or some other category, they often in this modern world in which we live assume that Christians have faith, but they have something different. It's of a, a different nature, something else. They have a reasonable confidence. And in this instance, Barry has a reasonable confidence that one day, when we search long enough, we'll have the evidence that matter is not the result of divine creation. Now, I don't know Barry. I think I would like him. I, I love the way he writes. I like the way he thinks. I would love to talk to him and explore this life going from a Christian life to one of atheists. I'd like to know, how did he come to the point where he decided he wanted to have faith in other human beings and what they might discover from the exploration of science that would in some way disprove the divine? What, what happened in him that would cause him to have a faith in the scientific method more so than the scriptural revelation of God? And what would make him think that we could have any way of understanding something that happened before there was anything? As a Christian, I trust the revealing statements of scripture. I have faith in those scriptures. I have faith that the one who was there did tell us this is what happened in the beginning. I created and I created out of nothing and it came and it was light and it was good and it was beautiful. And it was something that had value and it's something that I want you to enjoy. I see this God's creation as, as the word, this thought that suddenly becomes actual matter and, and we can live within this work of art. And I don't know if you saw the sunrise this morning. Unbelievable sunrises God is creating and the sunsets and the beauty of, of the wonder of our world. And we get to live in the midst of all of that, a living expression of God's thinking. And not only do we get to do that, but God himself became a part of all of this, like an author entering the story and becoming a part of the interaction of the characters, explaining to them why he told the story and why he gave them life and what it means for them to be experiencing their existence within that creation of the author. And I see God as having this tremendous artistic, logical expression 
of what it means to be alive and to be human, to, to have light that shines in the darkness. There is consistent, reasonable, believable faith on which our lives are based. And it is not different from the reasonable thoughts of others as they hope that they will someday have an answer to the ultimate questions. As we prepare for the sacrament, I want to encourage you to take this prologue, these 14 verses, and to spend time. You obviously are only going to a little bit get started in this as we have just few moments here in the house of God. I encourage you throughout this day, perhaps you might want to take the whole month of January to meditate on these words. And so as we read it now, I would encourage you to open your heart to what it says. I, I had a, a professor of preaching back in, in seminary who said that really, to be honest, every pastor, before they start with their sermon, should say, now the best thing you're going to hear today is the Word of God, not what I have to say. So listen deeply to the Word of God. What does John through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, say to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, <clears throat> and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that lights everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that not only did you create, but you told us why you created. You sent your Son, and Jesus, you came to explain fully that we are here to love, to love you, to love God Almighty to love one another, to love ourselves, that we have a purpose of bringing peace on earth, reconciliation among the brokenness, 
that we're not here just to try to figure out what we're supposed to be doing this new year, but that we're here as a part of a grand plan of your story as his story is being lived out. And we would ask, Father, that you would speak to each of us and that not only through this prologue of John, but through the very blessed sacrament, that you would allow the brokenness of our lives to be healed, the lifeblood to become empowered, to live as a light in this world. We're here and we're open. We know this is the thin place, the sacred moment, the sacrament that Jesus instituted. And so we want to be with you. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we prepare for the sacrament, I would encourage you to take these moments and look at these verses and meditate upon them, understanding what it is that God is saying to you uniquely, to you as a family, to us as a congregation, to the world as a whole. But before we do that, I want to point out just three things I would have you look at. But I would encourage you to let God lead you. First, we want to notice something that is profoundly important theologically and practically as we live the Christian life. John begins with, in the beginning was the word. Another way of reading it would be, in the beginning was only God. In the ancient world, there was a belief that matter and spirituality were co-eternal and that they've always been in a great conflict, a conflict between spirit and matter in a dualistic kind of competition, a battle then between the good spirit and the bad matter, between light and between darkness, between God and creation. So meditate upon what it means that matter is good, that God created the world and that he said it's good. And there isn't this eternal competition between the spiritual and the physical, between the science and the church. That there is in fact one God who created all and it all brings glory and honor to him. Meditate on what that means for you and how you live your life and how you live as a physical, spiritual being within this world. Meditate also on the fact that the material world was given life by God. That there are living beings who breathe the breath of God. And that breath comes directly from God in this wonderful creation in His image. And meditate how that life, in fact, brings light. That when you recognize what life is, you begin to have enlightenment about purpose and meaning and direction. And how when you recognize that that life comes from God and it is not a fluke of something else, that then we have a purpose with that life that gives us light in the darkness of this new year. We're not confused about what God wants us to do with the brand new year before us. We know the plan and the purpose. So meditate on that, what your part is. Where are you to shine light? Where has darkness taken over that you have opportunity to shine God's life where things are dying and broken 
and light where things are darkened and misunderstood. And last, I would encourage you, not only now, I know that this isn't conducive to this kind of an of a ongoing experience of God's presence, but I would encourage you to allow your thoughts to go where God leads you in this time with him. One of the mistakes I see often in Christian life is when people say, I'm going to meditate and pray and I'm going to focus down and I'm not, not going to think about anything else that comes in my mind. When in fact, conversations do not occur that way. We go where the conversation goes. And when we spend time with God, he's going to take you down paths of understanding and exploration and openness and, and seeing what the future might hold as he reveals to you. Uh, that path. He's given us opportunity, of course, to be born anew with a DNA of God, to, to be living as children of God. And I would hope that that journey would take you to that place where you're willing to receive new life that comes from him. I know that that place will take you now to the Holy Sacrament, where the brokenness of life and the lifeblood of God is, is healed by the broken body and the broken the spilt blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that you have opportunity, all of you, to come forward and to receive physically that healing, that life blood of God. And I know that you have opportunity to be new in a new way, however that might be true for you in whatever place you are. And if you have not yet been born of God, this is the moment where you can receive his gracious presence within you. You can confess and receive forgiveness and receive empowerment. This is a moment where God communes with his people in this blessed sacrament that Jesus began. And so it's open to all of you. Uh, none of you are uh, kept from the blessed sacrament. You can all come forward and partake. Allow the words of the sacrament to be your words of preparation and allow the time of meditation to be your time with God.